Welcome back to Short Time with Vin and Dave. Vin Avenue, Dave Crossan with you, and we're welcoming back another special guest here to the program, to the show, here on Sunday morning on 94.3 The Point. That is Alicia Cook from Tom's River out there in Newark now, and really just all over New Jersey sharing her great work and <laughs> great personality as well. Lots to dive into this morning, as always, but Alicia, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. There we go. So going from the shore all over and uh, putting together great published works as well. And certainly um, a coffee, an iced coffee enthusiast as well. I know you've posted that from time to time. What is the yeah. funniest uh, pronunciation or funniest name that's been written on one of your cups over the years getting coffee? Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, my mother's always like, I don't understand why no one could spell or pronounce your name. But here we are. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean misspellings are just funny in general but i think it's funny when i get a completely different name like Alyssa or allison or felicia um <laughs> but yeah there there, there was there, there's been a, a bunch and i i love that uh people online find it just as amusing as i do <laughs> i think there was an episode of ncis los angeles recently where they were kind of doing something similar or just like some coffee shop somewhere they were writing the name like somebody was calling out the names like I don't know, like Samantha's? Like, nope, not here. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not what that said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think that it's a, I'm convinced it's a brilliant marketing ploy that the coffee companies do because it creates conversation and you, you upload a photo of their cup and it's like they're getting free marketing. <laughs> that's a good I'm point. Convinced that that's, yeah, I'm convinced that that's why they do that, but, uh, good on them because it's working. <laughs> Well, one of these days, uh, Alicia, I hope they, uh, you know, get the the name and uh, in writing and pronunciation down for you. <laughs> I mean, it keeps it keeps me humble, and that's very important. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I get, entertaining too. Um, mm-hmm. So I know we've certainly over the years discussed um, a lot of your published works and everything, book wise, then all the poems you've put out. Um, and certainly some of the recent ones that you've posted out on Instagram and, and Twitter as well, including, um, within the last week, uh, about, you know, how life tripping you up and then challenging you to, to keep back up. Um, some that you, that was from the, sorry, I haven't texted you back. Um, what, what, uh, was your, uh, I guess your thought process, your inspiration for some of the recent poems that you've been posting? Um, well, I, I feel like there's always been a common thread in my writing going all the way back to my first poetry book, um, stuff I've been feeling lately. I just don't think I knew I was writing about mental health and grief um, back then. I didn't know what I, I didn't, I was writing about it, but I didn't know I was writing about it. So um, now I'm just very aware of what I'm writing about. And um, I think that the inspiration is I just want to be transparent with people and I want people to feel like they're not alone in those confusing, weird um, emotions or feelings they have that they might not have, um, you know, worked out yet for themselves. So um, that poem in particular, um, I decided to post it on the internet, even though it's already in one of my books, because I was feeling like that lately, like I was just falling behind in my in my mind. And, and um, I was like, well, I can't be the only one that feels like this. I put it out. And, you know, as you saw, there was a a pretty big reception to it and um, in a positive feeling seen kind of way. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, seeing those comments from the readers saying like, this is me, you're in my head. I feel like you're, st- you're you know, are you stalking me? Things like that. Um, it's just, I just want to create that community and that feeling of like, you can feel not great 
and that's okay. Like you don't always have to be your best self um, and allow yourself to feel those feelings. And that's, yeah, that's really where I've been focusing my, my writing lately. Um, and a big part of that is because um, obviously in 2020, when the pandemic began, um, people were at a loss and um, very, very depressed and a lot of, you know, anxious feelings. And um, so I feel like a lot of readers came my way around that time. And do you find that the, you know, in getting feedback or anybody commenting on your, your posts, you know, can have that relation, uh, that relatability, I guess, to, to some of what you're writing where like, you know what, I, I feel that way, but I don't know how to express it or I can't figure out a way to take the time out for myself. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what I hear people say, like, thank you for putting into words what I couldn't. Um, and then for me, I feel good because I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one that's feeling this. It's it's a very like symbiotic relationship with my readers where I really, um, I need them just as much as they need to read my work. Um, and I just love the community I've been able to um, cultivate online um, because everyone should have a place where they could basically say like, I feel like crap today. Mm. Um, and that's okay. Like tomorrow's a new day. Have you found that it's helped you a lot over the years by posting poems or just even posting anything, any short comments or whatever on um, Instagram or Twitter that that getting something off your chest has felt has made you feel better um, and inspired others to share the same with whatever small or large thing is going on in their life? Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's stress or anxiety from work or home life but that they have the comfort and the platform to be able to, to share that. I mean, how, how has that helped you over the years as well, just with you know, finding that platform and that comfort to be able to share what's going on and you know, try and feel better yourself? Oh, I mean, it's been so cathartic for me. The whole reason I even started writing about uh, drug addiction in particular was because I felt like I was on this like island um, of grief and confusion, and I didn't you know, it's just going back to age myself. It's going back many years, you know, maybe even a little bit before social media. <laughs> um, so I felt so alone for so many years, even around friends, even around my family. Like I felt very isolated um, because I could not find a person that was going through something similar, which at the time obviously was um, having drug addiction in my family mm -hmm. and ultimately losing my cousin. Um, so the fact that like, these platforms exist now um, and they could be used for good and they could be used to build community. Um, it's so cathartic for me over the years. And it's also been inspirational to me where I find inspiration through people sharing their stories with me as well. Um, and like I said, it's just like this great give and take back and forth relationship I have with readers now. And um, it's so important to talk about every aspect of our, of your life. And we're moving back. I've noticed almost backwards toward only posting beautifully filtered, curated, mm. high, like a, a literal highlight reel of our life. Yeah. Um, and when people, I, for a while, we moved away for that from that. Now I feel like I'm seeing it more again. And it's, it's disheartening because when you're going through something terrible or in your, you're in a poor mental state, you believe what you see online and you believe you're the only one not living their best life, not where they want to be in life. So if I could be a mirror for people, like that's what I'm here for. That's, that's a great point. You know, whether it's, 
you know, putting those filters into photos instead of letting the real ones sit out there, you know, with whatever it is you look mm-hmm. like uh, that day. And it, sometimes, listen, you, you post a picture of you after a workout at the gym, your hair is a mess, so what? <laughs> or or right. something else, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's, you know, I guess life moving art in, in a sense as well. You just kind of re, I think that has gone away to some degree as well with just the realness of a picture or a video and people getting too caught up in, you know, what they look like or what they sound like instead of just posting it as is. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want to be a teenager in school right now. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how I would have been able to navigate living my life through, you know, being a, a young woman, uh, and then also social media existing. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I, uh, I just want to give a shout out to all the girls out there that are, and all the young people in general out there that yeah. are just, um, navigating their their lives that are essentially just beginning um, but also existing on online and it's it's a lot and it's uh it it definitely has its own problems and leads to some pretty sad outcomes but there is good out there as well and if you could find your community that's wonderful what what are your thoughts and anything that you've posted that you could take us back on and what you've posted over the years or just have heard just with bullying, cyberbullying, you know, you, you, your point there just about, you know, young girls and, and trying to, you know, live in today's society with, with some of the social media pressures and everything else, just with any cyberbullying or any bullying that, of things that get posted on any social media platform that ends up resurfacing in person um, at schools or anything. What What is your take on on everything that's that's been happening lately and Maybe your advice to, um, to to young girls or, or any uh, teenager out there struggling right now because of things that get posted that are not true. I just wish, I'm going to start by saying, I just wish that um, young people realize that everything is temporary. You know, school is temporary. Embarrassment is temporary. Um, these clicks are temporary. But I also understand that when you're, you are young and this is your life day in and day out. It doesn't feel temporary. It feels like it's going to be like this forever. Um, But like when I was in school, if I had uh, a run with a bully, I was bullied in school. I was able to come home and have like a safe space. Now, you know, there was a disconnection. Now the the bullies follow you. They're in your pocket, they're on your phone, they're on your Apple watch. they, they could be relentless 24-7 now. And um, I could understand how that that uh, intrusive voice could get into people's heads thinking like, my life, this is my, my life's a living hell and it's never going to get better. Um, so I do wish that they realized it was temporary. I have been keeping up on the tragedy that happened at Central Regional, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the loss of that young life and how, you know, looking back, it was just uh, they that, that young person was failed by so many people um there there was a failure there and it's heartbreaking but like i said i all the advice you could give in the world i would say it's temporary life could be so great high school especially is only four years of your life but it could it could feel like it's going to be like that forever um and i I would hate to give advice because i don't know how i would be in this day and age if i was that young um but it, it's scary. It's scary. And um, it's almost uncontrollable, you know, that even parents, a lot of parents don't even know what's going on until something terrible happens. Yeah. And it's 
sad, tragic, um, not just with what just happened to uh, Adriana Kush at Central Regional High School, but people standing by and laughing and or even posting this stuff or uh, for those who are who are bullying, uh, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, you know, whatever it is and whatever the outcome is, I mean, it's it's uh, damaging in multiple fronts to a lot of different people. So you just kind of hope and pray that um, people who had been bullying just stop, you know, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like bullies could grow out of being bullies and they could become reflective maybe and, right. and feel bad for what they did. But a lot of bullies grow up to be terrible adults as well. So I, I do believe that <laughs> I do believe that hurt people hurt people. So there's always a reason. Um, but we need to protect the kids. You know, that we need to protect the kids. And I, I don't think we're doing a good job at that. And I say we we as like, you know, the collective um, older people. I don't think we're doing a great job at protecting the kids. Yeah. No, I think more should be done across the scale um, to to instill just at the elementary, middle school, high school levels, you know, while to help teach the youth that, you know, and any form of bullying, uh, physical, mental, emotional, uh, posting stuff, saying stuff, you know, whatever it is, is, is not okay. Um, and to try and instill those lessons in them while you're, they're young to hopefully, uh, prevent those kinds of behaviors from happening when these young men and women become adults uh, whether it's going out and committing crimes or bullying people as an adult. So hopefully things could get done across the board to help stop bullying in schools. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the biggest thing a school um, school leadership could, could do is stop with the narrative of like, this is ha- this happened on the internet, not in school. And, and they have this boundary. And it's like, were we not online? Were these kids not online learning for two years? Mm-hmm. Um, you you can't just say, you can't just say, I know it's on the internet, so it's not my problem. Everything is interconnected now. It is your problem. These are your students. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree. You know, just because it doesn't physically happen within the confines of a classroom or a hallway doesn't mean it's still not students bullying other students um, in, in, in any shape or form. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's they have to take a long, hard look in the mirror of the school administration and and realize that they're their responsibility extends past the classroom now. And and sometimes you, you find that some of the people who, you know, without stats in front of me, just kind of hypothetically here, that bullying could lead to other things. Um, maybe it's forcing them into a depression. Maybe it's forcing them uh, to, uh, to abuse alcohol or drugs or to do something else um, that they may not have otherwise considered with, you know, if they didn't feel like their life meant something because of the amount of people picking on them. Oh, that's, I, I believe that. I agree with that, absolutely. Um, we have to analyze, you know, a big part of the drug epidemic is analyzing why people turn to substances in the first place. And that's definitely one of them, that that desperation, that, that feeling of um, emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, they'll do, they'll turn to things to maybe um, numb their, their reality. Alicia, I want to talk more uh, about your, your recent works and more about some topics that I think could be relatable to a lot of people as well. Can you stay around? 
Sure, I have time. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Lots of time here on Sunday morning. We've got uh, more short time with Vin and Dave and Alicia Cook right after this on 94.3 The Point. Hi, this is Christy Pierce-Rampone, former U.S. women's soccer team captain, Olympic gold medalist, World Cup champion, and Point Borough High School alum. And you're listening to Short Time with Vin and Dave on 94.3 The Point. Tune in for some real conversation with Dave and Vin. You don't want to miss this. Whether you're in the early stages of investing, getting ready to retire, or planning your estate, you need a financial planner who will guide you on a clear path with honesty and transparency. Shoreline Wealth Management understands that you are more than your money, and they strive to help you realize your best life as they align your finances with your goals. Best of all, Shoreline's straightforward approach will include you in the process. Shoreline Wealth Management is your financial anchor. Visit ShorelineWealth.com for more information. ShorelineWealth.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SI. PC. Hey, this is UFC Championship fighter and Tom's River High School East alumni Frankie Edgar, and you're listening to Short Time with Vin and Dave on 94.3 The Point. Dave and Vin, these guys are the buzz. Welcome back to Short Time with Vin and Dave. Vin Avenue, Dave Crossin with you. With us here this hour is Alicia Cook, Tom's River native, doing great things across the state of New Jersey out there in Newark and beyond. From uh, trying to figure find a coffee shop that puts her name just right on the cup, uh, to certainly inspiring others and sharing lots of great stories we've been talking about. Um, some of her recent published works and certainly the effects of cyberbullying and school bullying and so much more and a lot of conversations that still need to be had um, to just instill the message to children and adults that bullying others is in no way, shape, or form okay, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, um, you know, and what kind of what kind of realities can certainly come as a result of somebody being bullied. Every life matters, and um, you know we certainly all have a role to play here in, in treating others with kindness and respect, um, and that goes a long way. Uh, we we also talked to Alicia as we hit went towards the the quick break there, just on so how some of that could lead to uh, to drug abuse or alcohol or something else along those lines, and in talking about the drug epidemic and. Um, and everything as well. And I know it's something that you've touched on over the years as well in sharing your story um, and sharing the story of um, your relationship with Jessica, your cousin, and, you know, her story as well, um, you know, as it relates to uh, the drug epidemic and how so many others out there are struggling even now. Um, in looking back at this, your books um, and your, your poems over the years, uh, from stuff I've been feeling lately to, lately to I hope my voice doesn't skip and sorry I haven't texted you back and um, and so many others and in sharing your story and sharing Jessica's story and so much more um, in looking back at, at the years in the years that you've put out these published works and everything and sharing these stories um, what is what has it been, been like for you this journey and sharing these stories um, have you learned anything knew about yourself over the years um, or gotten feedback about people who are going through the, the same um, sort of reality that you did and that you are? Uh, um, the last, you know, almost 10 years has, has been a, an absolute gift. Um, I'm so grateful and fortunate to have, have had these books and to have had people buy my books. Um, <laughs> of course. And, and <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, uh, you know, writing a book's one thing, getting published is another, actually having a book do well is a completely other thing. Right. <laughs> um, so I just feel like I feel so fortunate and I'm so grateful um, for the platform I've been able to build and, 
and all of that. But yeah, I mean, it, I've learned, I've learned a lot over the last couple of years. I'm um, especially about myself. I've learned, um, you know, our, our last conversation a couple of months ago, I, I learned that I shouldn't be drinking alcohol. I'm not, I'm not a great person when I drink alcohol. So, um, it'll be four years in June where I haven't drank alcohol. And I don't think I would have maybe made it or been that self-reflective. Um, and if, if not for my books, because mm. my books, you know, forced me to basically write exactly what I'm feeling. And, um, it's almost like I release a diary every couple of years. Um, so I'm very like self-reflective, um, usually when a book comes out and, so yeah, I've made a lot of lifestyle and wellness changes in my life. Um, and I think it's all connected to to my work and to the response to my work because it's it's a duty to, you know, I have a big responsibility with a platform like mine because a lot of the people that follow me have had very difficult lives or they've had very tough seasons. And I just want to be a good role model and example. So I, uh, I want to thank my you know my readers and everything like that for i think turning me into the best person i could be absolutely um and i think you've done a, a great job in taking the time to to gather your thoughts and to and to be able to share them and tell so many stories that make people want to just kind of sit there slowly read and and, and reflect um Thank now you. with you sharing your heart felt stories and just the realities of what you fell with. And then, um, I think there are just people out there that may be going through the same thing and that in reading your work, um, has helped them kind of see things in, in their own life, um, and figure out what's going on and try to help them cope with, certainly with any struggles or anxieties or any loss as well. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say it's such a big responsibility because I, I, I try to be very careful and not careless with, sure. um, with, with their stories, because it is sometimes it is life and death there, you know, and there's, uh, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like people like me and myself writing what we write about, it does give people almost, they feel like they have permission now to share openly. And it does start conversations. And um, the fact that like, my book could be a conversation starter between a family that really needs to talk about things is is so wonderful oh i want to touch on a poem you recently put out survivor guilt um last in january that i you know was reading and i thought could relate to this uh certainly part of the conversation we're in here but i'll let you uh steer the wheel on that um certainly since you wrote in since your thoughts and everything but what what went into the poem survivor guilt that you posted so i've I've talked about survivor guilt um in different ways uh throughout the years but this poem i posted in i guess you said it was january um that this poem is actually going into my new book that i'm currently writing okay and i i kind of wanted to test the waters um so I posted it and I wanted to see the response to it since a lot of my new book is focused on grief. Um, not always grief caused by the death of someone, but like you could grieve the last couple of years showed us you could grieve, you know, moments you never got or, you know, time you lost. Um, so what went into that was uh, so many people feel that survivor's guilt is an actual term 
uh, people use to to talk about like if you survive a, a devastating situation, you walk around with a different kind of guilt because you're like, why am I still here? And um, I just wanted to put that down on paper, maybe a little more explicitly than I usually do. Um, and yeah, my my next book is heavily focused on loss and grief, and um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. And any um, idea when the the new uh, book or, or publishing would be coming out? Any hints? <laughs> I could I could give you a, a month and a year. All right. <laughs> um, it, my my next book, my poetry book, will be coming out January twenty twenty four. So there we eleven go. months from now. Yeah. Start planning, people. <laughs> please please do. It'll be four years between books. I hope I'm still relevant then. Ah, you haven't lost the touch. <laughs> no, no rest, Alicia. <laughs> no. Have you have you gotten a lot of people reaching out to you, uh, either through your recent works or um, over the years with anything that people have read, um, or the as I mentioned before, since <laughs> excuse me, the seven years since you put out stuff I've been feeling lately, with people going through that and reaching out to you, um, either asking for your advice or kind of thank you for sharing what you have over the years that people can relate or maybe just kind of sharing their testimonials with you. Um, and I know in some of your works over the years, you've kind of helped reshare their stories as well. But what have you heard from talking to different people around New Jersey or elsewhere about uh, their struggles with the drug epidemic or watching a loved one battle, um, battle through the disease of addiction? No, I, I definitely still um, receive DMs, um, private messages, emails from people all over the country uh, daily. Mm. And, you know, if we're speaking specifically about the drug epidemic, um, the messages I'm getting today are no different than the messages I was getting in 2014, which isn't isn't good because it shows that there hasn't been much of an improvement um, and that, and, you know, people are still dying every single day and families are being wrecked every single day because of this uh the disease of addiction. Um, something that I want to speak more about, and I and I'm on a couple panels coming up in the spring, is I want to talk about how it's amazing to me the stigma that still exists. Um, you know, moving away from the state or the country statistics, right. you know, things we we can't control as everyday citizens all the time. But like the fact that I still see that, you know, there's the attack on the person. Mm using the drugs that we're demeaning the person still and not looking at the larger issue. Like there's no right way to curb this epidemic, but this is, that's definitely the wrong way, you know? So I want to speak more about how education needs a complete overall overhaul, you know, telling kids drugs are bad. Of course they know that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, of course, like in our, in our heads, logically, we know drugs are quote unquote bad. Right. But that, but that quickly morphs into, the idea that people who use drugs are bad and that's not always the case it certainly wasn't the case for the people in my life who Mm -hmm. i know who've been addicted to drugs so the disease of addiction causes them to make harmful choices out of desperation sure um but just say no was definitely the wrong way because it villainized the person and not the source and if it were that easy to just say no to drugs we wouldn't be here today you know we wouldn't be looking at such an epidemic uh to this day and um, that's that's what I hope to use my platform for. Um, I've been doing my research and writing new stuff on addiction, and I want to talk about how 
you know, the stigma still exists because we still want to villainize the people using these drugs. I think, I think it does, you know, so my thoughts, some of them, I think it does get talked about, you know, certain circles, society, you know, schools and government and stuff like that. But I don't think it overall broadly it gets talked about enough, whether it's the drug epidemic or the mental health crisis, like it does get talked about, but is there really enough action getting done to help educate, become aware, help provide recovery? I feel like sometimes it just, these two particular um, epidemics, if you will, with mental health and with drugs don't get talked about enough and there's not enough action done to help find people health um, because it's an ongoing thing. And I th- feel like there are some days or some weeks where just other things, I've, and I'm not talking, you know, trying to compare or contrast to other real life events here, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like it just doesn't get the amount of quality, quantity conversation it deserves to help people be at a point where they feel comfortable opening up and, you know, learn more about why, you know, just, you know, to your point about just say no or drugs are bad, to go more into the the weeds about what it is all about, why you shouldn't go do drugs, what it could lead to, um, you know, the... The importance of mental health, which I still think there is a, well, a, a stigma to, but also a blanket over where like, oh, hey, mental health, that means you have, you're going to sit in an office on a couch somewhere and talk to a, a psychiatrist. But it's kind of like right. the comparing, like you go and work out physically to improve your overall physical health, whether it's lifting or running around. Um, and I think we've had this conversation on previous shows in the past as well, mm-hmm. but it's just like, what are you doing to improve your mental health? Maybe that's the small daily stuff that's kind of gnawing at you or some larger stuff as well. And I think there needs to be more of a, a bigger spotlight, I guess, if you will, to, for lack of a better analogy, on the drug epidemic and on the mental health crisis for people of all ages um, to be able to have this conversation, you know, throughout the course of the year, whether it's in schools, at workplaces, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. to just, you know, lower the the stress, lower the anxiety and try to put people in a a better position uh, health-wise, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Oh, that's, I mean, that's so well said. And uh, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I've been saying since I was, God, over over 10 years now, um, I've been saying that we need to be talking about this more. What's unique about, particularly the mental health crisis, is that I I would love to meet someone, introduce me to someone who has never had even a bad mental health day, Mm. right? Like this is something so universal. How are we not talking about it more? And like, I feel like in my world, we talk about it all the time, but like you said, at the, the broader, the broader universe, no, we aren't. And drug addiction and mental health uh, crises have been around since the beginning of man. So we're not going to cure drug addiction. We are not going to cure the mental health crisis. So harm reduction is the best tool, in my opinion, that we have to, um, you know, at least curb these crises, whether it be Narcan for drug addiction or something like you suggested for for mental health and all these epidemics, they hold hands. So we can't stop. We have to stop looking at them individually. The mental health epidemic, the drug epidemic, they overlap and exist together. And the pandemic, another ick, uh, only poured fuel on the mental health crisis that was already on fire, which resulted in the highest annual drug death toll our country has seen yet. So 
I know I wasn't surprised at all that all this came together and we had all, you know, these coexisting crises. But yeah, a lot of people were surprised that this was happening and the writing has always been on the wall. And hopefully that, you know, and talking about bullying as well earlier in our conversation here this morning, that, you know, that's, that's part of it as well. Um, mm-hmm. That more can be done, it, it should be done, um, and that these conversations, even though they may be hard at times to have, that they they, they should be have. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's at the, at the school level, maybe it's taking out time every once in a while to have students write down in a journal kind of what they're feeling that day. Maybe it's like a 20 minutes or a half hour of, of a school day just to kind of sit down, write how you're feeling. Maybe it's a good day, maybe it's a day where you're kind of feeling, eh, uh, maybe you're yeah. a little depressed, anxious, angry. Uh, maybe there's some things on your mind that you need to get off because if, in my opinion, <laughs> I guess when those things start adding up, it, it almost becomes like a distraction from, you know, different things that, that are going on in the classroom or at the workplace for adults and everything that you're too busy thinking about everything else going on in your life or with people involved in your life, your loved ones or friends that, um, that you're kind of distracted from doing other things in your life, and it kind of slows you down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's so right. And not only slows you down or, or distracts you, but it takes away from the joy. So you could, I've, I've had some of the most, the biggest moments of my life, especially when my first book came out, those those first milestones and accomplishments, I didn't even enjoy them because I was so depressed and anxious. You know, and if I could go back in time, of course, like it was lightning in a bottle, I'll never experience that again. Um, so to your point, like it, journaling has been proven to help um, in different ways. And you just stack up, you know, it just stacks up if you don't have a release. And and we need coping mechanisms in place. So we need releases and we need to be in a in a world where people don't stigmatize the fact that we need coping mechanisms. Exactly. Um, and it, it's there's no like. I don't think there's a defined role where it's like, okay, well, this person is only designated to to deal with this. I think, you know, and everybody in some way has a responsibility to to help out somebody else, family member, friend, coworker, stranger. You know, you see somebody having, you know, a tough day. Uh, maybe it's just something simple as saying hello, waving, smiling, holding the door, saying a kind yeah, word here and there. <laughs> simple things a, that, that we... Literally. Yeah. Yeah. That could literally make all the difference in someone's day. And I think something I've tried, I've tried to be more patient because, you know, I I do, I live in Newark, it's fast paced, you know, I'm always in a rush sometimes (laughs) it feels like. So my patience runs out sometimes, but I always try to meet people where they're at. Like, I don't know what kind of day the barista is having. She could have had the worst news of her life that day and still had to show up from, you know, to work. So we just have to, yeah, just be kind. And it's such a cliche thing to say, but being kind is the, is the best thing you could you could be in this world. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll close up with um, with this. Just something I was thinking about. So, I guess a few weeks ago, I had an interview opportunity to interview Lawrence Taylor, the the New York Giants legend, um, mm-hmm. who certainly had his share of um, off the field um, mistakes and everything over the years. And I think when I had a chance to sit down with him just for a couple minutes, I think he was a little nervous. I think there's just been a lot of other people out there. Um, in the media, other reporters over the years who have kind of not been too friendly for him and kind of focused on things that he doesn't really want to be remembered for. He wants to be remembered for being a great football player and everything else. And I think the more I kept talking to him and, you know, treating him with the kindness and respect that he deserves as a, as a human being and as a great football player, I was just there to talk football with him. 
And the longer we went in that conversation, the more comfortable he got, realizing that I wasn't out there to go and get him. And kind of made me think, you know, sometimes that kindness and the respect that you show to others and having a conversation can go a long way, um, especially if they feel like they've been mistreated by so many other people. Yeah, you created a, a safe space for him. And, you know, we've all made mistakes and I, I don't know his history. Um, but, you know, as long as we're, we admit that we're flawed, we take accountability for the mistakes we make and we try to be better going forward. Um, that's just all a part of our, our story. Um, but yeah, you created a safe space and that's, that's what we could do every day for someone. Alicia, you do that, um, you know, in so many different ways and social media through your books and, and poems, um, and everything, and just being there for, for so many different people, uh, going through a lot. Um, you, everybody out there can go to the aliciacook.com and learn more about Alicia's published works and upcoming published works. So stay tuned until next year. And of course, follow her on Instagram and Twitter. Alicia, thanks for taking out some time this morning to discuss so much here on a short time. No, I always love our conversations. Thank you. We'll have to have you back again soon and certainly well before, you know, your book comes out (laughs) next January. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is Alicia Cook. More short time with Vin and Dave right after this on 94.3 The Point. Hey, what do you hear? What do you say? This is Camille from Big D. Batero. You're listening to Short Time with Vin and Dave on 94.3 The Point. Who wants coffee? Anybody want coffee? Whether you are in the early stages of investing, getting ready to retire, or planning your estate, you need a financial planner who will guide you on a clear path with honesty and transparency. Shoreline Wealth Management provides clarity through the complexity. Shoreline's system is straightforward. They will understand your financial circumstances, identify goals, analyze current plans, and customize a path to position you to reach your goals. Shoreline Wealth Management is your financial anchor. Visit ShorelineWealth.com for more information today. ShorelineWealth.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Hi, this is high performance executive coach Dana Cavalia and former director of strength and conditioning for the New York Yankees. And you're listening to Shoretime with Vin and Dave on 94.3 The Point. It's always great to hang with champions, and these two guys are champions.